What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast here today with the New York Mets. And to do that, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Matt Eddy. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Kyle. Thanks for pumping out this great series. It's always a pleasure. I always enjoy doing them and diving into all the farm systems in baseball. Matt, you've been at BA for over 20 years, and you've been doing the Mets farm system for a very, very long time. How many years has it been now? Yeah, the first year was after the Matt Harvey draft in 2010. So I guess that puts me at about 12 or 13. <laughs> that just goes to show how long you've been doing this. Back when Matt Harvey was a prospect, you know, before the whole rise and fall and everything. You've you've been there since the beginning of the Matt Harvey era, if you will. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of the Alderson era. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So with that, Matt, I actually, that is going to give us some good perspective. The Mets obviously are one of the most exciting teams in the major leagues. They made it back to the postseason last year, lost in the wild card round, but uh, it was their best season since 2016. And in a lot of ways, this is an organization on the rise. A lot of big time free agent signings, even though the Carlos Correa deal fell apart, they still brought in Justin Verlander. They signed Kodai Senga out of Japan. Uh, they re-signed a lot of their own. There's certainly a lot of money being spent under uh, new owner Steve Cohen. And on top of that, they've got a farm system that's pretty good. This isn't a team that's just, you know, putting a bunch of money in the big league roster without having a lot of talent underneath it to reinforce it. How do you kind of assess the state of this farm system, both compared to farm systems of the Mets past and just in the game as a whole? Um, <clears throat> this is the best, the best Mets farm since 2015, the year that they graduated. Um, Michael Conforto, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Stephen Matz, uh, Brandon Nimmo, players like that. So... This is the best group they've had, you know, led by, I think what make what elevates them to, to the top tier of farm systems is the proximity of Francisco Alvarez, Kodai Senga, and Brett Beatty. I believe they're the only system in the book and the prospect handbook to have their top three prospects like slated to play in the majors in 2023. Yeah, you know, that 2015 farm system, uh, that was a pretty good year for the Mets. A lot of those guys came up and helped the Mets reach the World Series. So uh, certainly something that the Mets and their fans hope happens again with this group. I want to kind of start with that. Francisco Alvarez, their number one prospect, safe to say was a pretty clear cut number one, even with bringing Kodai Senga over from Japan. Saw him make his major league debut last year at 20 years old. Has long been one of the best catching prospects in baseball, really, from the moment he signed out of Venezuela. He was a top international prospect, showed really, really well early on, and uh, really it's just been good all the way around. Where does Francisco Alvarez stand right now? Is he ready to come up and, and take over as the Mets' full-time starting catcher next year? Just, just where is he at in his development right now? Um, I think the role they used him in last year, is probably the most likely to start where they bring him up to, to DH and catch a little bit. Uh, that That's the role they, they used when they called him up. You know, some of that is just the youth. Like it's rare for any 20 or 21 year old catcher to, to catch a lot of games in the major leagues. And part of that is just his bat is so advanced <laughs> and, and his glove is not at that level yet. So I would expect him to spend, 
I think the, the most likely scenario is that he spends a month or two at AAA and comes up and, and plays pretty regularly. Yeah, in terms of this game, it's no secret. He's a big husky dude with a lot of power. It's definitely power over hit, but there's a sense that he's going to get on base enough, hit enough, and certainly going to hit for enough power to be you know, an offensive impact player. Again, regardless of how much he's catching or DHing, um, defensively, again, he's a very, very big guy. There have been some mixed reviews on the catching over the years. Nothing bad, but nothing great either. Some people like it more than others. What is the overall realistic outlook for him as a catcher, and, and how realistic is it that he is a full-time you know, 110, 120-game-a-year catcher once he reaches his peak? I think the, the most reasonable case or the most realistic case is probably something like um, Alejandro Kirk with the Blue Jays where he's he catches a lot, but it's not, you're not necessarily counting on him for a hundred games. Um, and then down the line, you know, you could see him moving off the position at a at potentially an earlier age, like maybe like a Carlos Santana type of career path. Um, I think that's, you know, a, a reasonable outlook. Yeah, what are some of the main things he still has to work on moving forward? Again, he reached the majors at the end of the season last year. Um, he's going to be back there, assuming he stays healthy, for at least a good chunk of this coming season. What are the main things to watch for him and his development here? Yeah, I mean, it's all about improving the, the catching game. I think that's the most part. He needs reps at the upper levels. Uh, he was injured at AAA, came back strong in his final 15 games there. Uh, so he needs you know some some more more looks against the, the top pitchers. But on, on the good side, I think he made a point to catch rehabbing Mets pitchers when they came through Binghamton, and players like Max Scherzer were complimentary of him, like, like his, his willingness to improve, the desire to improve. So I think those are good signs. So I think I think everything is pointing in the right direction, and maybe more catching is likely in 2024. It's interesting you mentioned Alejandro Kirk. We saw Kirk, who's an all-star last year, obviously. He caught 78 games in DH 51 for the Blue Jays. And again, very young, age 23. We'll see how that balance shifts over time. But I, I do think that actually is an interesting comparison point for what it might look like for Alvarez early in his career, mm -hmm. um, you know, what 60 40 split something like that we'll see if the defense improves over time is is that fair mm -hmm. matt francisco Alvarez has been the mets number one prospect for a few years now again we talked about it was a top flight signee uh when he was an amateur and again the reviews even from that very first spring when he came over were hey this guy has a chance to be something special and, and you'll see when we come out with our top 100 he's going to be very high up on our top 100 clearly one of the better prospects in baseball and, and thus a fairly clear-cut number one once we moved into this system how clear-cut was it again brett Beatty was slated to be number two then they signed kodai sanga he slots in there how did you kind of stack this next group up and overall, how did you settle on kind of the order you did? Yeah, I like Beatty quite a bit. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good hard hit data, um, acquitted himself to the major leagues. There's a, there's a chance for him to get the more power. Not, not that his power is bad by any means. It just, it just isn't outstanding at this point. Um, but when you have a, a already a fully formed pitcher coming over, who's 30 years old and who's pretty much a ready to ready to go number three starter, I think that, swung it in Senga's favor you know we have to we have to see how the transition goes you know so I think some people kind of view him as the best Japanese import pitcher since um Tanaka but obviously he's got a lot to prove to reach that that level of um excellence 
I've gotten to see a lot of Senga over the years. I first saw him at the 2017 World Baseball Classic when he struck out uh, Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton, some of the, the game's best hitters at the time. And it was it was wild stuff. And really, he's a guy that teams have have wanted to sign for years. Uh, he's soft bank. The team he comes from in Japan does not post players, so he had to wait till he was a free agent. A lot of teams have been waiting a long time for it, and he's had a few injuries in recent years, but still a really, really good pitcher with with great stuff fastball splitter and got a couple breaking balls he can use so the arsenal's certainly there it's just a matter again of you know transitioning from going to pitching once a week to once every five days there's always big cultural adjustments it's a level up of competition but there's no question the stuff is there and i do think it'll be interesting to see you know if he's able to be that that impact pitcher the mets i won't say need i mean you have verlander and scherzer atop the rotation but you always need good number three four starters and, and fifth starters to get through a long season and, and ultimately the postseason as well there's a real chance he does become kind of that that really good number three behind those two and, and with him i do think there there's a high level of confidence that was what came out talking to evaluators around the game that he's going to be a good starting pitcher whether it's a three or a four the stuff's just too good the track record's too good he knows how to pitch uh, he's not afraid of big moments. Uh, the team he pitched for was a perennial championship contender in Japan. So it seems like it's all there, and he's certainly an, an interesting addition to the Mets rotation. And he's he's replacing Chris Bassett, in effect, so it'll be interesting to kind of chart how that goes, whether they the Mets made the right call there. Yeah, Matt, aside from Senga, what jumps out to me about this system is seven of the top eight prospects in this system are position players. So he really is kind of the lone pitcher who you look at and say, yeah, this guy is ready to impact the big league club. And this is a bat heavy system. And with that, even Alvarez, Beatty, Kevin Prada, all guys where it's clearly bat over glove. It does seem like there's a lot of impact hitters in this system. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I think that's, I, I think it, it it appears that the Mets are going to a model of kind of trying to develop their own homegrown hitting core and kind of supplement with pitchers like we've seen this offseason where they've signed mostly pitchers. So I think that seems to be a bigger picture, what they're what they're attempting to do via the draft and international markets. Um, and then, yeah, but like you said, before they signed Senga, it was their top seven were all uh, position players. And, you know, p- pitching is definitely a, an area that needs to be addressed in the system. We mentioned that model. It's the model the Astros and the Cubs followed. Develop your homegrown hitters and acquire the pitching via trades and free agent signings and worked out well for those two. So it's certainly a, a model that has a lot of basis to, to work off of. Um, diving in a little bit, you know, Brett Beatty, when Carlos Correa looked like he was going to sign with the Mets, just positionally that led to, okay, you know, what does this mean for Brett Beatty? Does he become a trade candidate? Because uh, Correa was going to play third base, which is Bay's natural position. What is the outlook for Brett Beatty now that the Carlos Correa signing fell through? Where, where is his future for the Mets positionally? And um, realistically, what is his timeline to become kind of an everyday player for the Mets? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch, especially this spring, to see if he, if he, if the Mets put him in the outfield at all. I think, you know, there is a chance that he could be get a, a share of left field this year. Uh, along with third base, you know, he would be a natural platoon partner with Eduardo Escobar. So that will be one to watch. And then, you know, you know, his defense has never exactly been lauded. You know, it's probably 50-50 that he sticks there in the major leagues for any length of time. So, you know, left field, first base would be possibilities uh, down the line. Yeah, he made his major league debut last year, got into 11 games with the Mets and, and played third base at all of them. So um, certainly got some opportunities there. 
again, really small sample. You don't want to put much into defensive metrics in a small sample. Um, but you mentioned the defense has been the question. If he moves to first base or left field, and it seems like left field has been the general thought for a while now, he does project to hit enough. What kind of offensive player are we looking at with Brett Beatty? Um, very confident that he can get to 50 hit, 50 power. I think there's a little more there. I think, you know, absolute best case, 60 hit, 55 power would be my my guess. Yeah, Matt, from the outside looking in, it seems like these would be kind of the clear-cut top three. Alvarez, Sanga, Beatty, again, um, Alvarez and Beatty have been in the top 50 of our, of our top 100. And as you'll see, they're they're still right there. Sanga, we've talked about, um, one of the better pitchers to come out of Japan in some time. It depends, of course, if he classifies Shohei Otani as, as a true pitcher versus a two-way guy. But um, regardless, you know, even if you include Otani, it's the best pitcher to come out of Japan in probably five years. Kevin Parada is the next guy at number four, the Mets' first-round pick this year. And, yes, he's a catcher, and, yes, they have Francisco Alvarez, but um, Parada's sort of kind of the extreme where we've talked about, you know, Alvarez, how much he's going to catch versus DH. Parada, there's there's never been a whole lot of belief he's going to catch, but it just doesn't matter because he's such a good hitter. What do the Mets have here? Yeah, I think you you hit on it. I think it's they, – they seem to be emphasizing players with strong hit tools and, and strong discipline markers – guys who can come into pro ball and hit develop a little power and, and he fits in that mold um especially after his big sophomore year at georgia tech one of the higher home run totals by a catcher we've seen really in the ba era um yeah i think they're like you say it, catching is not 100 percent guaranteed and if that doesn't shake out you know first base is, is a possible landing spot for him but obviously he's going to catch until reaching the major leagues yeah, and again, it's a good way to go, right? Find guys who can hit, control the strike zone, and, and let it go from there and figure out you know, some positional stuff down the road. You certainly need to hit to be a big leaguer. And, and you feel pretty good about the top three bats in this organization. Again, there's no such thing as a guaranteed prospect. Everyone has outcomes where it'll work and others where it won't. But you still generally do feel good. Matt, the last guy that rounds out this top five was Alex Ramirez. You know, we talked about Francisco Alvarez being a top international signee and someone who moved very quickly and got good reviews right off the bat. Ramirez is a very different type of player, but we're getting the same kind of pedigree here in terms of a guy who was, you know, very highly regarded when he signed. Um, the reviews have been pretty good all around. Made his full season debut last year. Got up to high A as an age 19 season. Um, hit for average, you know, got on base a decent amount, showed power, showed speed, did a lot of really, really good things. Was he the clear cut, you know, kind of best of the next in the system? And, and what does he project to be moving forward? He's still very young, but also everything so far has been pretty good. Um, no, I wouldn't say clear cut. I would say, you know, him versus Jet Williams, maybe versus Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio. You could, I think this is where it gets a little, little fluid and you can kind of stack them up how you see fit. Um you know, with Ramirez, you know, the athleticism stands out. He does have some raw power. Uh, the hitting is is the big question. You know, that was something that had kind of dogged him earlier in, in his career. But given how he's hit in full season ball, the lower levels, there's, it's more encouraging that he's going to figure it out. But it is by no means a, a certainty that he will hit enough to, to be a, an everyday major league player. I think you're, you're betting on the tools and the athlete and just the development to come. Yeah, in that regard, what are the main things to work on? Is it pitch recognition? Is it swing? Is it approach? What are the main things to work on there? Yeah, pitch recognition, 
adding strength to turn some doubles into home runs. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of a, like a hitch to, to start his swing, but he, he gets into position pretty well, according to scouts. So it's not the concern it was a couple of years ago, but it, it does bear monitoring. Yeah, we'll be interested to see again. It's been a promising pro debut so far and a uh, very young player with a long way to go between now and the majors to be sure, but uh, certainly someone to watch. And as we were putting together our top 100 prospects, he was one of the guys we got, you know, there's a lot of feedback from front office officials around the game that said, hey, this is someone to put at the back again, not a guy to run up yet, not a guy to bang the table on, but um, there's enough there to believe that he will eventually be someone that, you know, has the type of career that would, justify his placement in the top 100 prospects. We'll see if he's able to reach it. All right, Matt, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then we're going to dive into the bottom of this farm system. Keep it here for more from the Mets farm system here at Baseball America. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome back to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with Matt Eddy, breaking down the New York Mets farm system. All right, Matt, we've talked about the top half of this system, the top half of the top 10, I should say. A really, really good group of players. Again, all guys who have a very strong case to be in the top 100, all of whom project to be impactful in different ways, different timelines, but a very, very strong top five, which, as you noted, helps make this really the strongest Mets farm system 
since 2015, in your opinion, having done this for many, many, many years. Moving into the back half of the top 10, there are still some players who who certainly have some name recognition, some pedigree, and some performance. I want to dive into Mark Vantos and Ronnie Mauricio. Um, these are two guys that have been in the system for a number of years, that have been the Mets' top 10 prospects for a number of years. Where are they kind of at in their development, and, and what is their realistic outlook moving forward? Yeah, that that is kind of the million-dollar question with, with this group. Um you know, Mauricio's coming off the Dominican League MVP season, so that that you know raises his stock a little bit. Uh, you know, you know his minor league performance has, has shown a severe lack of on-base skills the past couple of years, even while his other tools remain average to above. So that's you know, if if that continues, you're not looking at like a top of the order guy. It's probably more of like a shortstop or third baseman, bottom of the order, uh, best case. So. That, that's a tougher one. You know, Vientos has shown, you know, major league power. He's got, he does have plus or double plus raw power. Um, came up, got a few starts versus left-handed pitchers last year. Uh, might, you know, depending on how things shake out with the, you know, DH versus left-handers this year, could see some more time, but uh, doesn't seem like a priority guy for this season. Realistically, what are the odds these guys become everyday players? Because both of them have been trending more in that bottom of the order, second division, platoon reserve type for a little bit now. I mean, how realistic is that these guys get to average solid regulars in the major leagues? Um, it's getting a little lower, you know, especially for a team that does have, you know, um, has set a high baseline for what they're trying to achieve. So it's going to be tougher for them. It's going to be more getting into the, getting into the mix and making an impression if possible. Um, or possibly, possibly as trade chips. Yeah, certainly could be a big year. For, for Mauricio especially, again, Vientos did get to the majors last year briefly. Mauricio, you mentioned, won MVP of the Dominican Winter League, which is certainly encouraging. Um, but he really did have, a, a, a again, a rough year at Binghamton uh, in terms of on base, in terms of hitting for average. The strikeout to walk was ugly. Showed power. Um, there's certainly tools there. But two years in a row now with sub-300 on base percentages in the minor leagues is not what you want to see. Is this a little bit of a make-or-break year for Ronnie Mauricio? I think so. To be considered a top prospect, yes. You know, I think given what else he can do, he's still a top thirty guy. You know, succeed or fail this year, but yeah, in terms of being considered as a top ten guy, yes. Matt, we talked about seven of the top eight prospects in this system are position players. Then you start to dive into uh, kind of a group of pitchers, Blake Tidwell, Calvin Ziegler, Matt Allen, all guys, again, have draft pedigree, have shown things at various points. How does this group of pitchers kind of stack up in terms of what they project to be and just their overall ability? Yeah, um, you know, Tidwell went into the 2022 season as a potential, you know, top half of the first round or top 20 pick. Uh, you know, injuries kind of knocked him down into the second round. You know, the Mets are excited with the value they got there. Big fastball, big slider. He's got, he's kind of, kind of, he has that edge to him on the mound where he's, you know, <laughs> tenacious, let's say. So I think that's a, also works in his favor as a, as a starting pitcher. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, you've got to build up innings, got to develop a third pitch, but in terms of a, a starter kit for a college pitcher, it's a, it's a good value for the second round. And then Allen and Ziegler, two younger guys, high school arms, where are they at right now? And how do you kind of assess them and what put them in the top 10 for you? Yeah, Ziegler misses a ton of bats, also is is very wild at this stage. Um, 
you know, tough to scout coming out of Canada. The Mets really liked his fastball and breaking ball into the draft. Really saw him as borderline first round stuff from a high school pitcher. He's uh, got got a long road ahead of him, but certainly has major league potential. Whether whether that's more four or five starter or bullpen, that's to be determined. And um, Allen has not really has not pitched an inning in a game since 2019. You know, he was really good in 2020 at the alt site, but then spring training the following year at Tommy John. And it's been a long road to recovery, but he was throwing throwing this offseason and is expected to be ready at some point in this season. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question with Allen, the fact that he has not thrown a pitch either the last two seasons. Where is he right now? You mentioned throwing a little bit in the offseason, just kind of where's he at in terms of stuff coming back? Um, just just where's he at kind of in the process? Uh, the velocity had made a good recovery, and he was throwing breaking pitches, you know, when I checked in the fall. You know, so I'm, I'm sure he'll be wrapping that up and trying to get back to that pitcher with, uh, you know, the potential for three above average or better pitches, which he showed in 2020 at the alt site. Yeah. And, and instructs as well. He, uh, he really made a positive impression in 2020 instructional league. So last time he was on the mound, again, good things happened, but missed all of 2021, missed all of 2022. And we'll see if he's able to get back in 2023. Matt, it's funny. I said back to the top 10, really it's top 11 now with the addition mm -hmm. of Senga. Was this kind of the clear cut group or was there anyone else who was kind of knocking on the door to, to being in this top third of this farm system? Yeah, this is really the group. I think once you get past here, you're it, it's it's a it's less clear what the, the, the you know, the certitude of whether the players are going to be major leaguers goes down dramatically. Are there any sleepers in the system you like? Again, guys, where you're right, there's not a lot of certainty, but, you know, have some potential to make something happen, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, Dominican right-hander Leonel Ovalles showed really, really late in the season. He's got an interesting pitch mix, uh, throws strikes, made it up to low A. I think he's 19 years old. So he's he's one to watch. Uh, you know, there's, they have a couple of other pitchers returning from Tommy John, Jordani Ventura, and um, Luis Rodriguez, who are in different stages of returning. They, they have good arms. And, and the DSL shortstop, Jesus Baez, would be another one just to kind of watch as a potential sleeper. Yeah. And this is where, again, this is a farm system that is certainly top heavy and, and drops off a good bit, but it's actually one thing I remember going back and looking uh, for a call I wrote about Alvarez during the 2021 futures game. That's kind of been the Mets MO where they never really have farm systems that are super duper deep, you know, going 15, 20 guys, but they pretty consistently have four or five guys at the top of their rankings who come up and make an impact to make a difference for the club and with that you look at it, the Mets have actually had you know some of the better farm systems just in terms of how many of these guys actually make an impact in the big leagues and maybe some other systems where you know they go 20 deep but most of the guys end up not making it uh, and as such I think sometimes Mets farm systems have been underrated because they're top heavy but they tend to hit at the top yeah and, and that's what they've been missing these past few years since they graduated Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil you know, since then, it's really been like Tyler, Tyler McGill and David Peterson, who, who are good, but they're not like, you know, cemented. They don't have like cemented roles for 2023. Yeah, again, we'll see if uh, Francisco Alvarez and, and Brett Beatty and, and that whole group is able to uh, kind of bring it back to those years where the Mets were getting, you know, some impact guys from their farm system every year. And 
know, as we mentioned, this farm system doesn't need to be super deep because this is a big league club that is coming off a 101 win season and is expected to compete for an NLE's title and is pretty dang talented all over the rosters. So it's not like they need reinforcements in a lot of places. If these guys are able to just come up and help, even just two or three of them, that's all the Mets are really going to need and uh, should help them potentially get back to the postseason. And, and obviously they hope further than that and, and get back to a World Series. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. All right, Matt, uh, just as we wrap up here, any final thoughts on this farm system, just overall what to expect or just kind of where this puts the organization as a whole right now? Uh, I guess the two thoughts I would leave with are just, I, I like the, the the way the prospect positions are distributed. They have two catchers in the top 10, they have two shortstops, they have two third basemen and a center fielder. So there's just a lot of different different avenues these players can take as they reach the major leagues and, and, and get there. And two, this will be a big year for Mets pitching development. They've redone they've you know refilled they've restaffed some positions on the on the pitching development side it'll be a big year to see some gains from some pitchers absolutely well we'll certainly keep an eye on that and uh, see how these guys are able to come up and impact the big league team at the top of the system matt thank you so much for joining me appreciate your insight as always thanks Kyle. all right everyone that'll do it for another baseball america podcast go ahead and give us a review on itunes spotify stitcher whatever platform you're listening on we'd love to hear from you For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.